Have you guys ever been frustrated after you've opened up with somebody and told them how life is going and how difficult life is and how hard things are, and the response that you get back from them is, hey, you know what, I'll pray for you. Does that ever frustrate you? You don't want to be honest because you're like, well, why should I be frustrated with somebody praying for me? But we, we treat that like a cliche, don't we? Hey, you know what, I'll be praying for you. And it's gotten to the place, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel even guilty saying that because my thought is that the person that I'm saying that to is thinking to themselves, yeah, right, okay, sure, you just want to end the conversation and move on, don't you? But what that really reveals is that we don't really understand the power that's behind that statement, if that statement is genuine. See, because if after we lay out our, our burdens and our trials and our suffering and everything else has gone on, if, if at the end of that, somebody looks at us and says, you know what, I will pray for you, and there's really, there's nothing more powerful that they could ever do for us. See, prayer is one of the most powerful resources that we as believers have at our disposal. In fact, a guy named R.A. Torrey, who lived a long time ago, he once said this about prayer. He said, prayer has access to the omnipotence of God. You guys know what omnipotence is, right? It's the all-powerfulness of God. It's that idea that God can do anything, that he is powerful enough to overcome any obstacle, to defeat any, any enemy, to, to bring you through any trial that you have, that God is bigger than anything that you're facing. And R.A. Torrey says that prayer has access to the omnipotence of God. See, prayer does amazing things. There's a guy named George Mueller, again, who lived a while ago. And, and what George Mueller did is he set out and he said, you know what, I've got five names, just like Pastor Mike has challenged us to have five people, three people that we want to reach with the gospel. Well, this guy, George Mueller, he said, I've got five names of people that I want to see saved. And so George Mueller started praying for them to come to Christ, that they would be saved. And, and two of them got saved right off the bat, and then a, a third. But then there were, there were two that, that didn't come around. And so Mueller kept praying. And he kept saying, God, open their eyes that they might see the truth of, of the gospel. Save them, draw them to you, bring them to you. I want to see these two saved. And he kept praying and praying and praying and praying. And at one point, he wrote in his prayer journal that it had been over 30 years of praying for these same two people to become saved. And they weren't saved yet. Well, those two people that George Mueller had been praying for eventually, over 50 years after he started praying for them, bowed the knee to Christ in faith and repentance, and they were saved. Mueller was dead and gone at that point in time. But I don't want you to think for a second that it didn't have anything to do with the prayers that he was praying for 30 plus years for those two to be saved. That God was working in those prayers. That God was using his faithfulness to pray for them. And God was using that in accordance with his will to bring these two to salvation. So we see that, that prayer works. In fact, do you remember the story? The story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? You guys remember that? And I bring this to mind because it doesn't have to be this grandiose prayer that we pray to unlock the power of God in response, right? Because the prophets of Baal, they come up on this mountain and Elijah's there too. And they're going to challenge to see which God is it going to be Baal or is it going to be the God of the Bible? And the prophets of Baal, they go out and they start doing all these crazy dances and they start doing all these rituals and they start doing all this stuff, including cutting themselves, right? To try to get Baal to respond to them in their prayers, and it's silent. And Elijah's even like, dude, he's probably on the john. Why don't you call it a little bit louder because he's clearly, he's, he's predisposed right now. Nothing, right? And then Elijah steps up and he says, God, show them who you are, basically. 
It's a paraphrase, but that's the simplicity of Elijah's prayer. And God opens up the heavens and fire descends and burns up the offering on the altar. See, prayer has great impact, has great effect. And what James is going to be talking to us about is as we're trying to live our lives according to the, the, the Christian model, the cross-applied life. That prayer has to play a key component in that. In fact, not just when we're walking through trials, but every single day of our lives, prayer has to be a key component of living out our faith as followers of Christ. James is concluding thoughts here to us as he wraps up the book. Pick up in verse 13 with me. He says this, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So as this text opens up, we're given three different scenarios that James presents here. He says, look, if anyone amongst you is suffering, he says, let him pray. He says, if anyone amongst you is, is cheerful, Opposite of suffering. Life is going good for you. He says, let him sing praise. Let him worship God in response. And then he says, look, if if anyone is among you is is sick, let him call for the elders to come around, the the leaders of the church to come around and, and, and pray for him to be made well. And so these three scenarios present themselves, and they're three scenarios that I think we can kind of categorize and, and see different buckets in our lives that all point to the need that every single day we need to be engaging the Lord either in prayer or praise. And both of those things are, are that key component of our communication with God. Look at number one there, the, the, the idea of suffering, suffering under affliction. If, if anyone amongst you is, is suffering, it's an all-encompassing term. Right? So it may be a physical malady, it may be a, a, a mental situation, whatever it is, it's those circumstances that we've been looking at that are going to require patience and not grumbling. And James is saying, look, if you're suffering, if you've been afflicted, if you're going through a, a, a dark time in life, if you're going through a trial in life, James is saying the answer for you begins at least with prayer. Let him pray. And so you think about what that might look like and how does prayer work when you are depressed, right? I know that that's something that a lot of people in your life stage struggle with, deal with. That there are ups and downs. There are open doors and there are a lot more closed doors in life. And there are struggles. There are are desires that are unsatisfied and unfulfilled that can leave you feeling down, that can leave you feeling sad, that can leave you feeling unsatisfied and, and, and depressed. And James is saying one of the answers in those circumstances is prayer. Or maybe you're you're scared, you're anxious. You don't know what the future is going to hold. Some of you are coming back off of a semester, and for some of you, it was a great semester. Others of you, it wasn't. And you're looking at the the next six months of your life going, I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to continue pursuing the studies that I'm pursuing. I don't know if I'm going to be changing career paths. I don't know if I've got enough money to go back to school. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. James would say prayer. Maybe you're needy financially you don't have ends to, to, to pay the bills that you need to pay. You're living at home with mom and dad and, and you would love anything else but to, to be in that situation, but you just can't 
you can't seem to get a stable job, a job that's going to pay you enough to be able to get out on your own. Or, or like I said, with, with student debt, you're just racking up more and more debt because you can't seem to get your, your feet under you. And that's a burden on you, causing you to, to suffer in that arena. There's other categories as well as we think about oppression and persecution, something that we're not really up against that much as believers here in the United States, but there are certainly believers everywhere that are going through that. Some of the people that James was writing to who were dispersed, you remember, they weren't at home in their easy chairs. They had been driven from their home because of their faith in Christ. James is saying, pray. Those that have been wrongly accused, betrayed, lied to, abandoned, mocked. James is saying one of the, the, the answers, in fact, one of the first things that you should do and how you respond is you should pray. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. The second, though, if anyone among you is, is cheerful, that's the opposite, right? Things are going well. And some of you guys are right there. And some of you guys have, have been there. Life is going well. You're loving the school that you're at. You're loving the, the, the things that you're doing and the degree that you're pursuing. And you feel like you're right smack dab in the center of God's will for your life. Your job is going well. You've got that boyfriend or girlfriend and, and things are going well there. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I've, I've got what I, I've always wanted. And, and life is good right now. And James is saying, great. Don't neglect to give praise to the God who's responsible for those good things in your life. You remember back at the beginning of the book when he says, God is the giver of every perfect gift. Every good thing comes from the Father above, right? You see how James is bookending things a little bit there? He began by talking about suffering. He began then by talking about the good things, and now he's coming back to those subjects as well. He's, look, if anybody amongst you is, is cheerful, let him sing praise. But it's not just that you're cheerful because of your circumstances. Some of you are cheerful in spite of your circumstances. That you've got this steady, abiding confidence that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is working things out according to his will. So even though your life is not the fairy book, fairy book, storybook, fairy tale, even though your life is not unfolding exactly as you would script it, you still have this abiding confidence in God's goodness and you're able to be cheerful. James would say to you in that circumstance, even don't neglect to praise him for that. Worship him for that. In fact, in Acts 27, this same word is used when the apostle Paul is encouraging those that are on the boat that's about to shipwreck. And he's like, hey guys, be cheerful, is what Paul says. In the midst of a storm, as the, as the ship is breaking up, take heart, right? And this isn't a stupid cheerfulness like, like Jessica on the cruise ship in the, the musical this morning, if you guys were there, the, the like just giddiness for no reason, right? She did an awesome job in that role. But this is a cheerfulness because you're confident in, in God, right? It's not just a slap, happy, stupid grin that you wear on your face at all times, but it's knowing that he's in control. The third group there is the, the group that was sick. And it says, call for the elders to pray for them. And you might think, well, I've got a head cold. I'm not going to call for the pastors to come over to my house and pray for me. But James connects this with sin. And we'll see that in a, in a minute, minute in a little bit more detail because there was a connection in Jewish thought between being sick and unconfessed sin in your life. And so James is just acknowledging that and saying, look, Sometimes sickness is a result of there being sin that you're harboring in your life, and this is an extension of God's discipline on your life, so you need to examine yourself. And then you need to call for the leaders of the church to come and pray for you. Anointing with oil, let's not get tripped up over that. Um, probably just a, a symbolic picture of uh, setting them apart for God to specifically work on them. But no matter your circumstances, right? You're, you're walking through a trial and you are suffering. 
or you are just feeling like you are, are in the will of God, whether things are good in your life or bad in your life, you're confident that God is, going, is doing things well, or you are in a position where you have been neglecting your walk with Christ, and there's uh, the hand of God's discipline in your life. James's answer with all three of those scenarios, which I would venture a guess is to say we're all at somewhere in that, that, those three buckets in, in this room. James's response is what? Turn to the Lord, pray. Don't neglect communication with God. Why? Because when we pray, especially when we are, are bringing our requests to him, again, as Tori said, we're accessing the omnipotence of God, the power of God. And that's our first point tonight. It's this, realize that power, the power of prayer. It's an overused phrase probably, but realize, I mean, we need to understand how powerful prayer is because the reason that we don't pray more is because we don't get how powerful prayer is. If we understood how powerful it is, man, we would, for, for Paul to say pray without ceasing, people would have to tap us on the shoulder to get us out of a, a state of mind of praying to God because we would be that focused on praying if we really understood what prayer can accomplish. Growing up when I didn't feel good, and, and you guys were probably the same way, uh, if I went to my mom and said, hey, mom, I've got a stomach ache, what was the first thing that she would tell me to do? You need to go, What? poop, right? You guys all want to say it. You just were not comfortable saying it, but it's true, right? When you had a stomach ache and you were growing up and you went to your mom and you're like, mom, I don't feel good. She's like, did you go to the bathroom yet? Right? It, it's okay. It's, it, it, you will do it with your kids. I know. Cause I'm, I'm saying that from experience. Luke was saying that this morning. I was like, dude, did you take a dump? Like, did you go? Cause you probably need to do that. It'll probably be good for you. And it, eventually though, you get to the point where you're thinking to yourself, really, it, it, not everything is going to be solved by going to the bathroom, mom. Some, some of these things are, are legitimately a, a problem, right? Well, sometimes we, we think about prayer that way. We're told so often that we should pray as Christians, that we think to ourselves and we fall into the mindset of thinking, yeah, but what else do I need to do? Like, that's all fine and good. Okay, sure, I'm going to pray about it because I know I'm supposed to pray about it. But what should I really do? What, what's really going to work to help me in the circumstance that I'm in? And such a mindset, again, reveals, reveals a, a deficiency in our understanding of, of what prayer does. James illustrates this with a story about Elijah. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So this is pointing back to the story of Elijah from the Old Testament, and he's Elijah from the Old Testament, and he's talking about when Elijah prayed to the Lord, said, Lord, stop it from raining. And, and for three years and six months, three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then God went back to the Lord and said, Okay, Lord, bring the rain, and he did. But what does James say at the beginning of that? He says, Elijah was a what? A superstar. Elijah was a prophet. Elijah was an Old Testament saint. Elijah was a guy that, that you guys could never strive to be like. No, what does he say? He says Elijah was a what? He's a man. He was a jag, just a guy, right? Just like you and me, with a nature like ours. See what James is doing there. He's setting this up to say, do you understand the power of prayer, guys? See, there's, there was nothing special about Elijah. He was a man. He was a human just like you and I are. But he had a confidence in the Lord. He had a faith 
And he had a, a relationship with God such that his prayer life did amazingly powerful things. There's a show that my wife and I like to watch. It's called Seal Team because I wish I was a Navy SEAL, right? It's a secret dream of mine. I want to be the gum guy and I want to be a Navy SEAL. So there's those two things. But it's about th- these Navy SEALs and, and they always go on these, these missions and things. And there's, there's always, uh, at least most of the time, there's drones that are tracking the SEALs when they're on their mission. And the SEALs have comms that go back to a central command, right? That is monitoring the drone that's watching them as they're moving through and they're going on the mission. And the drone is not only paying attention to them, but it's also paying attention to all the, the threats and all of the enemy that's surrounding them. And if anything's coming in and and if there's any sort of threat against them, the the central command communicates to the seals on the ground and says, hey, you guys need to watch out because you've got enemies that are are coming up on your your blind side over here. Well, guys, it it would be foolish for a a seal team to say, hey, we want to go execute this mission, but we don't want to communicate with central command while we're doing that. We don't need that resource in our lives. We look at them and be like, dude, that's insane. The power of the technology that we have that allows you to see the enemies coming before they even realize that you're there, and you don't want that? You don't want to have somebody in your ear saying, hey, you guys need to be careful because there's something. You don't want that? Why wouldn't you want that? And yet, guys, that's how we live our Christian lives when it comes to prayer. When we're suffering, we try to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and power through it, which just sends us further and further and further down the spiral. Or when life is going well, we we pat ourselves on the back and we're like, well, man, that's awesome. Look how good things are going for me. I must be doing something right. This is great. I'm going to ride this as long as I can. You know, I I don't need need prayer. Look at all the blessings I've got in my life. And you know what? I I even read my Bible in the last month. I'm good. Or we are in open rebellion to God and when the Spirit tries to lay that conviction on us, we stuff that down. We're like, no, 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 no. I don't need to do that right now. I'm fine. I'm good. We've got this resource at our disposal, guys, in prayer that we just totally ignore. And it's not only foolish, but it's also disobedient, right? What does the Apostle Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18? 1 Thess 5, 16. He says, rejoice always, verse, 7, verse 16, or 17, pray, what? Without ceasing. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So no matter where you are in life, no matter what circumstance you are in tonight, where you find yourself, as you sit in here tonight, God's will for your life in Christ Jesus is for you to be praying without ceasing. And instead, we're ceasing to pray. Some of you are suffering in here. Again, you've lost relationships. You've lost family members. You've lost friends. Your plans have changed for what seems like the the worse. Your grades aren't great, or maybe you're not in school, you're in a job, and your job is a dead-end job. There's no upward mobility there for you at all. And you're not qualified really to go out and find any other job, and so you feel like you're just stuck where you are. Others of you, you, you feel depressed. You feel empty. You wake up every morning and, and there's just this cloud over you. Like, I, I have nothing to, to hope in for today. You feel discouraged about where you're at spiritually. 
You feel, felt like you'd be so much further along than you actually are. What's God's will for you? It's, it's to pray without ceasing. James's will for you, James's command to you is, is to pray, right? And even as you're sitting here and you hear me say that, I'm sure some of you are thinking to yourself, yeah, thanks a lot. That's a, that's a big help. Thanks for helping me by just saying to, to pray, but is that really going to do anything? Yes, it is, right? Because who are you praying to? The God of all creation, yes? You're communicating to him. You're bringing your requests before him. And to have the mindset of, well, it doesn't do me any good for you to tell me to go and pray is to basically say, God, you are, you're no good for me. You can't help me. I need something more than you. I need something better than you. I need something bigger and stronger than you are. Again, some of you are doing all right. You're on the flip side. You're growing in your relationship with the Lord. Doors are opening for you. You're healthy. You have a, a bright future in front of you, and you're excited about that. And yet, what is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, according to Paul? It's to pray. What does James want you to be doing? He wants you to be in your prayers, worshiping God for the good things that he's given to you. And so often we just forget about that. Well, God knows. God knows I, I'm thankful. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. I'm good for another year. He knows I'm, I'm grateful. I don't need to, to actually praise him for these things every day, do I? Yes, you do. Some of you are, are in open rebellion to the Lord. Those that James would say, look, if, you, if you're sick, it may be that you've got unconfessed sin in your life that you're harboring right now and you need to deal with that. Some of you in this room have unconfessed sin in your life that you're harboring and you need to deal with it. And rather than going, man, I, I, God is big enough to forgive my sin and so I need to confess it, bring it into the light and ask for forgiveness and find accountability in my life, your mindset is, no, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm strong enough to overcome this on my own or it's no big deal. See, James and Paul would both say, no matter where you are, pray. Pray. Express your dependence on the Lord. Bring your requests before God. Recognize the power of prayer to transform your life. Look at verse 16 again. Therefore, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And then he goes to Elijah and he talks about that again, which we just talked about. But again, this, this idea of confessing our sins and, and praying for one another, it's flowing out of this thought that, that sickness and sin were related in Jewish thought again, right? But I want us to, 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 maybe you don't have that mindset and you take your essential oils and everything so you're good to go. But let's, let's separate ourselves and let's just talk about the fact that some of you in this room have unconfessed sin that you need to confess and you need people to, to be praying with you and for you in your battle with sin. Yes, we can all agree on that, right? Yeah. So as you, as you think about that, there's a need that every single one of us in this room have for one another to be praying for our relationship with Christ to be praying for our holiness, to be praying for our battle against the flesh because the battle against the flesh is fierce and it's constant. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I'm gonna hit a certain age where my battle against sin and my battle against the flesh is gonna go away, you're self-deceived. It won't. In fact, have you ever been around a, an older believer, an older saint who knows that death is impending and, and they're just... They're almost excited about it. Have you guys ever seen that? That there's a joy about death in somebody who's 70, 80 years old? 
I remember witnessing that for the first time when I was back in college and thinking to myself, how can they be excited to die? And I remember talking to, to, to one of them and, and who was in that, that mindset and they were just saying, you know, I, I've been battling and fighting against sin for so long, I'm so ready to be done. And that joy of knowing that they were about to step into eternity was right there. But if you guys are sitting here going, I'll grow out of my sin, you won't. And the body of Christ that you have been surrounded by is gonna be crucial in your battle against sin for the rest of your life. To support you, to pray for you, to bear one another's burdens, you need one another in that. And prayer is a huge part of that. Point number two, take advantage of the prayers of your friends. Take advantage of the prayers of your friends. Sanctification is a team sport. It's not an individual pursuit. There are circumstances in life that you'll find yourself in that you'll go, okay, I'm out of my league, I need help. That happened to me two weeks ago on a Saturday morning. Amanda and I were sitting there, I was getting ready to go and preach later that night, and we're sitting downstairs, and I had my plan, and I was going to go into the office, and everything was going to be great. And then we hear this loud boom, like just a loud, you'll, this sound as a parent, you will come to know and just go, okay, here come the tears. So the bang and then immediate just blood curdling screams and it was from Luke. And so I get up and I go upstairs and he's at the top of the stairs and I'm, dude, what's wrong? And he's got, he's just bawling and he looks up at me and he's got a gash right here under his chin, right? And blood is literally just pouring out of his chin, like just constant like dripping and some of you are like this is way gross I I don't care um (laughs) it proves the point and I'm looking at him and as soon as I saw him you know what my thought was I'm out of my league this is something that's more than stereo strips and a band-aid I got to get him to the emergency room right so I got him in the car and took him to the emergency room guys we're going to be up against situations in life where we immediately realize we are out of our league and we need help And one of the reasons that God saved the church and created the church is so that you would recognize that in your battle against sin, you need one another. And James is communicating that here as he's talking about the need for us to pray for one another. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, he's talking about the effectiveness of prayer. The prayer is powerful. The prayer can, for, can, can open the door to forgiveness of sin that if, if you are truly repentant and you're praying to God to forgive you, that you will be forgiven. If, if others are praying for you in your battle against sin, that you will see victory over sin by bringing other people in on that as well. And so as Christians, you and I need each other. God did not create the church. Jesus did not die for the church for you to show up week in and week out and pretend like everything's okay. That would have been a waste. But so often that's how we treat the church. We come in with our facade, like we're good. Don't worry about me, I'm good, I'm good to go. Christians aren't supposed to have problems. We're not supposed to have struggles, so don't, I'm, I'm good. Now Jesus died to, to purchase the bride, the, the body of Christ, so that we could live the one another's out, right? And a big portion of that is, is praying for one another. Again, what is prayer? It's communication with the God of all creation. What can prayer do? potentially anything that the God of all creation can do. Think about it this way. If you had a friend who needed $5 and you had $5 on you that you didn't really need at your disposal and your friend came to you because they needed $5 to get some food, would you give them the $5? Sure you would, wouldn't you? 
Some of you mouth no. You're a horrible friend. <laughs> or let's say you had a friend, they needed 20 bucks. They needed to fill up their car with gas. They're on hard times. And you had $20 that you knew you could spare. And they came to you. And this is a friend that you love, that you care about. It's a different friend than the $5 mooch so that you're not thinking that this is the same person that just is continually coming back to you. But somebody else comes up to you, they're like, hey, I really need, honestly, like 20 bucks to fill up my car. Is there any way you could help me out? How many of you would, would be on board with that? You'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out with that. Or what if you had a friend who needed $200 to get their car repaired and you just happen to have a nice grandparent who gave you $500 for Christmas because they love you? You're like, you know what? I could, I could part with this money to help this person out. That may be a, a, a few less of you because we're going a little bit more uncomfortable at that point, but I'm sure some of you at least would consider helping even that person out. Why? Because you have the resources available. Now think about this. Imagine if you were tight with LeBron James. This is for you, Kellen and Nathan. How much is his contract right now? It's an ungodly amount of money, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's so much more money than I will ever be able to, to sniff, right? I mean, this is an absurd amount of money. Imagine if you were tight with LeBron James and your friend comes to you and is like, hey, you know what? I need $200 to get my car fixed. And you know LeBron has gone to you and been like, dude, if you need anything from me or any of your friends need anything from me, hey, come let me know. And as long as it's within my means, I, I'd be happy to help you out because I, I, I'm sure LeBron loves Jesus, right? Maybe, maybe. He should love Jesus. But you go, your friend comes to you, hey, I need $200 to, to repair my car. And you know LeBron. Are you going to LeBron and asking for 200 bucks to help your friend out? Yeah, you are, aren't you? Right? Why? Because you know LeBron offered and he's got the money there for you. Or let's say you needed three grand for a friend who had a need for his tuition. And LeBron, right? And you look at three grand and for you, you're like, dude, I'm sorry, man, I'm, I'm tapped out. Five bucks for McDonald's, I'm, I'm there. I got you. I can spot you that. But three grand? Are you kidding me? You're out of my mind. I, I, no, I can't do that. But LeBron is in your ear going, dude, I've, I've got it. Just come to me. Are you going to go to LeBron and be like, hey, I've got a buddy who needs three grand for tuition. Can you help him out? Yeah, you are. Now think about this. Do you realize that you have friends in this room, and you do as well, but do you have friends in this room who can go before the God of all creation, who has no limit to his resources at his disposal, and they can go before the Lord for you to bring your requests before him. And we ignore that. Why? Because of our pride? Look at myself included. No one in this room is fooling everybody into thinking that your life is great. All of us have needs. All of us need one another to be praying for each other. All of us have greater needs than, dude, I've got finals coming up, so pray for me this week. But we want to keep it there at the surface level. And we don't realize the resource that we have in one another in the body of Christ to pray for each other. Am I saying that you've got to come up here and air your dirty laundry and confess all your sins in front of everybody? No. Am I saying you even have to do that in front of your entire small group? No, I'm not. But you should have at least one person in your life who you can be completely transparent before and you can confess your sins in front of them and you can ask them to pray for you. Why? Because what you are neglecting if you don't is you are neglecting the, the power of somebody going before the God of all creation on your behalf and asking him to ask 
act for your good. And it's way easier for him to to act for your good in that regard than it is for LeBron to, to spot you five bucks even for McDonald's. And we ignore that. So I want to challenge you guys to be involved in each other's lives more than you are. And that's going to have to start by you being willing to take the first step by being vulnerable with somebody else. Because you can't go grab somebody else by the throat collar and be like, dude, tell me what your sins are because I want to pray for you because I love Jesus. It's not going to go well, right? But if you go to somebody and you pull them aside and say, hey, brother, hey, 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 sister, guys and guys, girls and girls, let's just keep it that way for right now, right? Can you pray for me like this? Because I'm struggling with this and I, I need, I'm praying, but I would love for you to pray with me for this. It's going to take you guys starting that process with each other. And so ask them, ask them to pray for you. Ask them to pray for your holiness. Therefore, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You guys need each other. You need to be praying for each other. You need other people to be praying for you. There's a lot at stake. Look at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sins. This seems like a weird way for James to land this letter, right? It's like, he doesn't give the greeting that Paul gives at the end of his letters. Like, hey, look at, I'm writing this. I've got really bad handwriting, which Paul used to say a couple times. Look at how big my letters are that I'm writing. You know this is legit because this is really messy and big. James says this weird thing about, look, if somebody's wandering and you go after them to bring them back, you're saving potentially their soul and covering a multitude of their sins by restoring them to right relationship with the Lord. And you think, well, wait a minute, Pastor PJ, I thought this had to do with prayer. And it does. And here's how. In Ezekiel, there's this concept of the watchman on the wall. So think back, right, to to the time of of fortresses and and forts and everything. You guys ever seen? Yeah, why not? Have you guys ever seen uh, Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail? Okay. You guys know the French guard that's up on the wall and he's, I'll taunt you a second time, go away. Okay, yeah, so that guy, he's a watchman, right? He's manning the tower. He's watching out for what's coming. He's making sure to stand guard. Well, Ezekiel is saying that the shepherds of Israel, the pastors, the leaders of of the Israelites, they needed to be watchmen watching for the threats against the people of Israel. And part of the the condemnation of of Ezekiel, of God's message through Ezekiel, was he saying to the, the watchman, hey, you're not doing your job. And so just as God gave Israel watchmen for the wall, he's given you to one another in this community of believers here in the bridge to be watchmen for your friends. So that when you see a threat to one of your brothers or sisters, when you see sin in their life, which is a threat to their relationship with the Lord, because James is saying, look, some are going to be wandering. And that wandering is, is to, to drift, to change your mind, and, and to kind of depart from what's good and what's right. And so James is saying, look, you need to be on guard against that because there may be people that start to wander that you look at them and you're like, well, you've been with me for so long and I thought we were good and I thought you were a believer. But dude, what's going on with your life right now? And James is saying, you need to be somebody who is going to be a watchman in their life. 
to go after them, to bring them back. Because in bringing them back, you're going to be potentially bringing them to saving faith in Christ. God working through you, drawing them to to true salvation. Because maybe they weren't saved to begin with. And in doing that, their sins are going to be covered. That's what he's talking about, covering a multitude of sins there. But whether it's somebody who's an unbeliever or whether it's somebody who's a believer, we talked about you need your friends. Well, now I want to spin that and talk about the fact that your friends need you. And that, y'all, is going to require prayer for you to fulfill this calling. That's point number three tonight is this. Pray because your friends need you. You need the prayers of your friends, but pray also because your friends need you. Any rock climbers in the room? A couple of you? When, when you go into to rock climb, I took my kids to, to Flagstaff this summer and, and Annie went rock climbing. She's a, a spider on the wall. She's crazy, right? But they hook you up into this harness and there's somebody there, right, that's, that's holding the rope. And you're supposed to, when you get ready to climb, you're supposed to say on belay, right? Which means that you're hooked in, that you're harnessed in. And then if, if the person who's holding the rope is ready, they say what? They say belay on. And then you say climbing, and the person holding the rope, they say, climb on. And that's the key. I got you. Go ahead. Go scale the wall. Do what you need to do. If you fall, I'm here. I've got the rope. Well, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you guys need to have the rope for one another. And again, part of that, a big part of that is by praying for each other. If you want to be effective in, in the practical pursuit of a brother or sister in Christ who's wandering, you need to be praying for that brother and sister in Christ before they ever fall into sin. That's one of the reasons why we have small groups in this ministry. It's not just to fill dead space, or it's not just to have leaders that can, can be checking the box of serving. It's so that you have a smaller group of people in your life, of friends, who you can build into and invest in relationships with, who you can care about to the point that you are praying for them, hopefully weekly, if not daily, for their walk with Christ. And you can be their watchman. You can be their rope holder. So that if they start to wander, you're right there and they're not getting very far before you come after them. Y'all, there's illustrations all over scripture of this. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 through 23. So Nehemiah, one of the things that Nehemiah was, was all about was rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem, right? Well, the problem was there were a bunch of people that didn't want the walls rebuilt in Jerusalem. And you can imagine why. Because Jerusalem was no threat to the people as long as the walls were down. But once the walls started going back up, the people that were surrounding the territory of Jerusalem, they were like, well, we remember what used to happen when God was behind this city back. We don't really want this to be a strong city anymore. So they began to oppose the rebuilding of the wall. And it got to the point where violence started to take place. And and look what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4. Listen in verses 15 and following. It says this, Nehemiah says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, in other words, to, to politically create red tape that they couldn't rebuild with, it says this, We all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of us worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. It's an awesome picture of this team lining the wall. And with one hand, they've got their, their trowel, right? They're, they're putting the, the spackle on the wall. They're doing the work of building the wall. And the other hand, they've got their sword, 
And so as you see this line, what you find is you find the, the strong hand is, is holding the sword and, and the weak hand is, is doing the work here because the weak side you would think was then left vulnerable, right? But not if what? Not if I've got a brother that's standing on my right side and he's got his sword right here watching my weak side. And then for him, he's doing the work here, but then what's, what's going on? There's another brother right there holding the sword watching his weak side. And that's how they did the work. And then beyond that, there were half of them that were working. There were another half that had the spears and the, the shields and they were watching what was going on. You see how they had this concern for the well-being of one another. And that was a, a, a physical concern. Well, you and I have a, a spiritual concern for each other. You need to watch one another's weak sides, so to speak. Watch the blind side. And so whose weak side are you watching? You think, is this, all this really necessary? Yes. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know what Paul says is the, re, the reason for people who are, are wandering and who are lost in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Because somebody has blinded their eyes. And do you know who he says has blinded their eyes? Satan. He says the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the eyes of the lost. And then we get into Ephesians chapter 6. And, and Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about the armor of God, right? And he says there in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, But our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against what? The spiritual forces. There's a spiritual warfare that's going on. And so as you think about those two ideas, those two realities, that for your friends who don't know Christ, their eyes are blinded by Satan. And then as you think about for those friends that, that do know Christ, that there is a spiritual warfare going on, taking place over their walk with Christ, over their sanctification, over their holiness. And you think to yourself about the fact that God has called you to be involved in their life, to pray for them, to be a watchman for them, to hold the rope for them. You don't think you need prayer when you're up against the God of this world and his spiritual forces, which are at work in this present age? Absolutely we do. In fact, at the end of the armor of God, what does he say? Praying at all times in the spirit. Take up all these things. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you need to be praying. Because this is a battle that's bigger than you. And so as you think about it, you have friends that are blinded by this enemy. Believing friends engaged in this fierce battle for their sanctification, for their holiness. You have friends that might be drifting right now. And I ask you, are you praying for them? Do you love each other in this room enough that you are praying for them when you don't meet in small group time? How often do you think about each other when you're not in small group time? I mean, do you, do you, do you, are you concerned for each other as far as their, your growth in Christ? I hope so. Guys, prayer again is a... a, a, a indispensable resource in this battle. And so you are needed in your friends' lives, in their process of growing, in their sanctification. I wish James wrapped things up a little bit better than he does. But it's inspired. This is what God wants us to have. This is what we have. And in a lot of ways, as much as I wish it was a little bit of a neater bow on the end of James, I do love the way he ends. Because as we've been talking about, this whole series of being about living the cross-applied life, 
I love that James ends by saying, look, to make that happen, you gotta be praying. And you gotta have a love for each other. This life is impossible without prayer and without the church. You cannot live a life pleasing to the Lord without those two things. You have to have both of them. And James has been writing about a lot of different litmus tests as far as our walk with Christ goes. And in chapter one, joy and trials, doing and not hearing. Uh, Chapter two, not judging others from a worldly standard. Having a faith that works in chapter two. Watching the way we use our words in chapter three. Pursuing godly wisdom in chapter three. Putting off quarreling in chapter four. Battling worldliness in chapter four. Planning with God's will in mind in chapter four. Battling worldly temptations of riches in chapter five. Living patiently while waiting for the return of Christ in chapter five. And we get to the end of all this and and it can be overwhelming to have all that stuff and be like, man, wow, this this is hard work to be a believer in Christ. And I would say, yes, it is a hard work to be a believer in Christ. There's nothing easy about following Jesus. Nothing especially in this world. If your life as a follower of Christ is easy, you're probably not doing it right. And so James gets to the end of this book where we're like, man, James, wow, how are we supposed to do that? And I love that he ends by this focus on prayer. And again, even, even now we might hear that and we might be like, yeah, but that's, that's okay, so just pray about it, really? Really, that's, that's how we're gonna close things? yes. Yes, because that is the most effective resource that you have at your disposal as a believer in Christ. And if you doubt that, then you really don't understand prayer, right? If you think about the fact that you are going before the God for whom it's, it's, there's nothing impossible for him. And you are praying, God, if it be your will, this is what my request is now. There's nothing more effective in all of your life than that. No amount of intellect, no amount of counseling, no amount of psychology, no no amount of education, no amount of money, no amount of friends, no amount of any of that is going to be as effective as you having a faithful life of prayer before the Lord. So yeah, is being a follower of Christ hard? Absolutely. Is it really my closing remarks to you from our study in James to just pray about it? Yeah, it is. Speaking of, let's do that. Let's pray. God, you are, you are the God of all creation. You have resources at your disposal of which we can't even fathom And God, I I wonder in in my life how much I've left behind of the blessings that you had prepared for me because I didn't come to you. I didn't pray to you. I didn't ask you. I didn't seek your will in them. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to understand the power of prayer. Help us to understand our need for one another to be praying for each other and help us to understand that we need to be on the front lines with one another, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in this room as well. God, it's amazing to think that you are the same God who said, let there be light and that there was light. You are the same God who created the world and the universe and everything else in six days. God, you are that God. You are the God of the flood. You are the God of the the Exodus. You are the God of 
uh, of the prophets. You are the God of King David. You are the God of, uh, of the, the New Testament, the God who was born as a, a baby in, in Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life. You are the, the God of the cross. You are the God of the resurrection. You are the God of, of Paul. You are the God of Peter. You are the God of James. You are the God of, of everyone in history until this point. And of all of the things that have been done in history, that have been displays of your power, you are that same God tonight. What an amazing thing that is to think about. That when we pray and we bring our requests and we bring our needs, we bring them to the God of all creation. Lord, help us to to own that. Help us to take advantage of that. Help us to, to think, how could we ever neglect that? That there is so much power in an effective prayer life. Lord, enable us, give us the the wherewithal and the discipline to cultivate a more close and desperate and intimate prayer life with you. We pray this all because of the access to you that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.